Hello, and welcome to Unwind Your Mind. My name is Daniela, and I will be hosting this episode. I just wanted to start off with a big thank you to the Youth Mental Health Association for supporting this podcast. Our special guest for today is Dylan. Dylan is a fourth-year McMaster student from the Greater Toronto Area who is studying human behavior and early childhood education. She is passionate about child advocacy and working within her local community on issues of racial injustices. She will be joining us today to talk about her mental health journey amidst the Black Lives Matter protests and COVID-19. Welcome, Dylan. It is really great to speak with you. It's awesome speaking with you too, Daniela. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. So George Floyd's death brought the Black Lives Matter movement back into the media spotlight, sparking protests across the globe. There is just so much hurt for George Floyd and all those before him and after him who died unnecessarily at the hands of police brutality. While this trauma is nothing new, what has been your reaction to the protests and even riots that have taken place since? Well, I definitely would say that it's very bittersweet. It's it's awesome that people are now realizing that Black lives do matter and seeing the different types of trauma and struggle that um, a lot of Black people face, and including myself as well. But it's very it's very bitter because it has taken so many years upon years of deaths and hurt and pain from members of the Black community and us even speaking on these issues prior and beforehand. And then it takes the very graphic death of a man and the mistreatment of said man to have people realize that, oh, yeah, Black people are a thing and and they're actually still people. We should probably help them, which... It's very disheartening, but I'm glad that something's actually being done about it. And in terms of the riots, I do not, it's it's complicated in my stance in particular because I definitely do understand why these riots are happening. And I can very much say that there's so much more that I need to understand in that regard, but I cannot condone those I cannot condone those sorts of actions, but I do understand them, if that makes any sense. Definitely. There are so many ways that stress affects our mental health, and the protests appear to be one of the primary factors contributing to an even more devastating effect on the mental health of Black people. It's great that there seems to be a spark for people who want to take action, but it's heartbreaking that it had to be the death of an innocent man to be the catalyst for change. Can you walk me through a little bit of your mental health journey and whether the recent protests have impacted you in any way? Sure thing. Um, The best way I can put it in terms of my mental health and in regards to the Black Lives Matter movement and everything in between is that it's very much a roller coaster ride. Um, I would very much say that The protests have been a very wonderful example, especially the peaceful protests, in terms of people wanting to listen and wanting to use their position in society to help those who are in lower positions to get, you know, to get a bit further up, you know. And I am very thankful for that in that regard. However, in terms of, it's hard to really turn off, um, handling issues with race and racism on a continuous basis because I find it that it ends up kind of crippling me in a way. The best way I can explain it is that 
having to deal with race and racism on a continuous basis, it's normally in a form of subconsciousness. It's normally buried deep within my psyche, such as I sometimes fear whether or not I'm being too black for a certain environment or not being black enough for another environment. But at the end of the day, I don't necessarily have to really confront these conflicting emotions um, on a surface level because I kind of repress them <laughs> a lot. But now because of the movement and seeing issues of race and racism on a on a consistent basis, whether it be via social media or news outlets, it, it takes a toll on me. It definitely takes a toll on me. And it's, I mean, of course, there's always the saying that, like, oh, you can always turn off the TV and turn off, um, you know, your social media applications to take a break away from the consistent exposure to um, police brutality, like graphic videos of police brutality or graphic videos of mistreatment of black businesses and even just black people in general. But at the end of the day, they're always there. And the fact that this, just the concept of racism in and of itself and the fact that it still is there, you can turn off your exposure, but you can't, it's, you can't turn off racism as a concept being deeply rooted in society. For sure. Oftentimes, it can be exhausting being the only Black person in many people's lives. Nobody can understand what we're going through, and it's hard to turn on the TV and be re-traumatized by graphic videos and news stories, so I definitely understand where you're coming from. What has been the reaction of your friends during this time, and have you had any people asking you to talk about your experiences or um, asking you to direct them to resources? Honestly, I would definitely have to say that this is where I am profoundly blessed in this area because during this time, a lot of a lot of people, both black and non-black in my life, have messaged me and texted me and asked me if I'm doing okay. And even I text, text, texted them and messaged them to see if they're doing okay. And it was a wonderful, um, it was like a wonderful sense of unity. And I can definitely say that I was in a place prior where I didn't necessarily have the friends that I had to be able to openly talk about race and racism. It was kind of like talking about politics when you're on the wrong party, you know. Um, it's just something that usually is not talked about. But with the current friends and family that I have, I can proudly say and proudly boast that they have texted me and messaged me to see if I was okay. They have asked me to, um, they asked me in what ways they can help me out or even in ways that they could pray for me. And it, it's really a very powerful experience to be surrounded by people who genuinely love you and accept you and accept a very vital part of you as well. And I'm very, I'm very blessed to say that I have that kind of resource and those types of people in my life to be able to have those kinds of conversations. And some people have, in fact, asked me um, what resources to go to. But this is when I realized that I myself have, I, I honestly genuinely don't know a lot of resources about um, about race and racism, and it made me realize that I want to take this opportunity to learn alongside with them, to not only just 
um, experience grace and racism on a personal level through my experiences, but also to understand the concepts and the underbelly of racism in an intellectual level so that I can know where these sources are coming from and where this hatred and bigotry is not bigotry, bigotry is um, sourced from and be able to find ways to combat against it. It's so great to hear that you have such a supportive group of friends and family around you who are trying to uplift you. I respect the fact that you're learning alongside them because no matter who you are, we all have something to learn and there is always an opportunity to continue educating yourself. Can you describe the current social justice work you've been doing in your community? Sure thing. Um, the social justice work that I currently am being a part of is this um, grassroots organization called Break the Chains Pickering. And um, I'll give, I'll just give a quick little backstory on it. Before, I used to be the kind of person who would just simply talk the talk, but not walk it, and just simply have all these passions and these ideas and these complaints and issues with how society is, and um, just pretty much a lot of a lot of anger towards my circumstances and the circumstances that other people so happen to be in. And I really wanted to do something about it, but I also wasn't too sure how to do it other than just simply ranting in the kitchen with my mom. <laughs> and um, what happened was a, um, my mom has a friend who was, who is a member of the Congress of Black Women and um, another student. Um, I, I'm not... I'm not absolutely sure if I should mention her name for privacy reasons, so I won't, but she's a wonderful young lady. She's from the University of Guelph, and she came to my my mom's friend and asked her if they could make a um, protest or some form of community or union to be able to get the citizens of Pickering involved in conquering against anti-Black racism in my city. And, um, and what happened was, my mom's friend included me into this organization and I mean at first I was kind of taken aback because I was it, it's unfortunate of me to say that I was a bit more concerned about my summer vacation than um and also I was just really hurt by a lot of these things but and it was also something that I've never really done before so the, my very prominent lack of experience, lack of experience. I wasn't too sure if I should even participate in it. But then I realized that I'll never know unless I try, and I ought to do so. You know, I can't just keep sitting around and, you know, being angry at society and being angry at the things around me without using that anger and putting that anger to good use. So, um. So I joined, and it's been a thing ever since. We've created a protest. Over 300 people showed up, and we were able to march around downtown, and it actually gave the attention of our city council. And um, we were able to present ourselves as delegates for an anti-black racism task force in my city. And although the outcome in terms of the actual development of the task force isn't really what we were hoping for and quite frankly we are a bit upset as to how things have turned out but the one thing that i can definitely say is that i'm thankful that we have a task force to begin with and it is it is a it is a baby step for change but it is a step nonetheless wow dylan that's incredible 
No action is a small step and the fact that you've gotten attention from your mayor just shows the potential for change there is in your community. What are the next steps that you see for this organization? Well, the one thing I can definitely say is that so far things seem to be quieting down a bit, especially with school, um, because some, a good chunk of us are actually students. Some of us are going into our third year. Some are actually even high school students as well, and even just preparing for applications for either whether it be university or picking up courses for the current year that they are in university. And um, as well, the um, some other members are just you know your average citizens who you know need to get going to work and um, sometimes we can't necessarily be as hands-on in comparison to how we have been in the summer but nonetheless I do believe that we will be continuing to follow our passions to combat against systemic injustices and in terms of the timing of it I'm not too sure but I do know that we're still a thing (laughs) that much I can say on my end. But I'll definitely um, meet up with my committee and see how that goes from there. Yeah, I definitely know the school struggle. It's hard to be involved full-time in a passion project or advocacy project while also balancing coursework, and I think you're doing a great job so far. Um, So how do you think that non-Black people can better support Black people's mental wellness during this time? Do you have any advice for someone who wants to find more information on racial injustice but doesn't really know where to start? Um, First things off, I want to say thank you for the compliment. I highly appreciate it. (laughs) Um, I believe in terms of how to support your your fellow Black peer or Black friend, I would definitely say just to let, just to remember first and foremost that they are people, that they are, that they are a person. They are a person who's going something, going through an experience that will be very difficult to explain and even to um, to express the emotional turmoil to a degree and how much of it, it impacts them. And I would definitely say the first thing um, to just start is just to offer a listening ear, to listen, to offer that shoulder to cry on, and not only just to listen to those experiences, but to acknowledge them. Because a major thing that I find, especially as a Black person, when it comes to you know speaking about um, my experiences in terms of race and racism, is that I fear not being heard and having my experiences be debunked or have it become some sort of political debate. But at the end of the day, it's... It's just that I experience these things and these things hurt me. And the least, I feel like the least that any person could do is just simply to listen and to acknowledge those experiences and to believe them, to believe those experiences. And another thing too, I, I find very helpful is um, honestly just to have conversations. Um, And it also really depends on the personality as well. But I find that even just asking questions about um, their own personal experiences, and it also depends on the person, you know, because I, for myself, I genuinely do not mind um, expressing my racial endeavors. It's not bubbles at all. (laughs) But for other people, they prefer to keep that to themselves. And it's important to respect that. And I think a way to really start in regards to 
you know, the journey to educate oneself about race and racism, I find it very much depends on the person. Um, I, for example, genuinely enjoy learning about the experiences of those before me, such as Maya, Maya Angelou or uh, or Mr. Mandela or Obama or even just the prominent figures in black history and their own experiences and what they did to overcome their um, current injustices and reading autobiographies that they have written themselves or even biographies um, that people have written as well. Oh, I also forgot to mention Martin Luther King Jr. and also Malcolm X because although those two are very different, they are they're practically there are two different sides of the same coin, and it's very interesting to see the different perspectives and the different political philosophies that these two individuals have. Um, another another way is to even just to even just Google books about race and racism, and although and also just don't be overwhelmed by the amount of information um, <laughs> that you first receive. Just take your time. Take your time to learn about the different things that are out there and know that it's okay to be ignorant. It's okay to not know certain things. It's what you do with that ignorance that creates impact. Because, for example, I have my own lived experiences as a black person, but there's only so much I know. And that's okay. You know, I don't know everything about race and racism. I just know the things that I experience. But that doesn't mean that there are others out there who have also experienced worser degrees of racial injustice as a black person. And I I have to take the time to learn about those experiences as well. And I, I feel like that goes the same for any person of whether they are a person of a fellow person of color, or even just a non um or even just a white person. Just take the time to to learn the experiences of your of the people within your life to even just do a simple Google search and not be overwhelmed by the information to take your time to even start with different autobiographies of um, very prominent social justice black figures and also to know that it's okay not to know everything and that's the whole process of the journey of learning just to take your time and learn and in terms of supporting um, your black friend, or even just for my fellow people who, you know, need some mental rest, I would definitely say to speak to people or to be the person who listens and acknowledges one's own experiences. Sometimes even just turning off the phone, turning off the laptop, turning off the TV, especially when it comes to different circulation of very violent and graphic imagery of of just sheer bigotry and hatred against black people you know you don't need to you don't need to see it all the time and you shouldn't expose yourself to yourselves to very hurtful things if you know that you're hurting it's important to stay informed but be sure not to be sure to take in as much as you can take if that makes sense take in as much as you can take and if it's time for you to take a break don't guilt yourself into watching more graphic incidences. Just take the break. And it's okay to take a break. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to be, it's okay to feel hurt. It's okay to feel pain. 
and no one should guilt you into thinking that you should just pull yourself by the bootstraps and work harder because at the end of the day there's only so much that you can do but the one thing that you should do the best of is to take care of yourself and as well as your emotional state but hopefully i answered the question <laughs> dylan you're spot on i think oftentimes people can get nervous or overwhelmed because they're not sure where to start but i think everything you mentioned is just so important there are so many actions that one can take and it can start with something, you know, as simple as engaging with books and other materials that can help people expand their viewpoint. I also think that films and documentaries are such a great way to learn more about the experiences of Black people without burdening a Black person that you know or if you're hesitant about asking someone, to, you know, to share their personal experiences. There really is no wrong way to approach the subject, and I think that making sincere attempts to understand racism, how it impacts people, and any current burning issues to combat are all good places to start. So um, thank you for your answer. It's no surprise that college and university students are at high risk for developing mental health issues that can affect their personal relationships and school performance. What has been your experience with mental health during university? Oh, that's the... <laughs> um, that is a good question. In terms of my mental health during university, it was definitely a roller coaster ride. Um, and it's unfortunate that, like, the best way I can put it is that if I have to go further back beyond first year in 12th grade in terms of race and racism, I unfortunately had a falling out with a friend um, in terms of race and racism, and it was more so about whether or not I was being a supportive person or if I was being a supportive friend, and um, it, I mean, to put it best, I, would, I don't think I as a black girl would be very supportive of my friend engaging with a romantic relationship with a boy who has said a lunch joke to me. <laughs> Am I being a bit petty? Probably, but um, it did impact me a lot because my, my whole entire identity and how I viewed myself at the time was based off of what others thought about me. And especially as a black person, when people see you as, you know, not all that favorable in the eyes of others, it takes a very prominent toll on you. And unfortunately, I have to say that it did take a very prominent toll on me as well. And I have that mentality of a very hurt state, but I was still, I was undergoing a healing process at the time. And then I went into first year of university. But then when I went into um, a off-campus house with um, a few other fellow with fellow fellow girls, I would say. Um, I was bullied and harassed in my own home, and you know I feel like there are lots of things that I wish I could have done better. And I hope that the one thing that I did while I was there is that I hope that I acted respectfully. And I do know that there are things that. Um, you know, I look back at it, and what I'm very thankful for is that I'm at a place where I'm able to say that, you know, I'm not talking about it without crying or being hurt or anguished by those previous situations, because I'm very thankful to say that I'm healed from those things. Um, and second year was the year of growth. 
Um, oddly enough, I will have to say that I'm thankful for the school that I went to prior because I didn't necessarily have all that much issues in terms of schoolwork or studying, but the most hardest thing was definitely about my mental state and really finding my identity or even just reestablishing my identity. And um, I was able to surround myself with people who had the same values as I did at the time. And despite me living in a very um, poor quality type of situation in terms of mentally, I'm able to, I'm very proudly, I'm able to say that the same friends who have supported me while undergoing, you know, the, the uprising of the Black Lives Matter movement after George Floyd and um, having to deal with that, those friends who have supported me then were the same friends that I met um, in that moment of time when I was at a very dark place. Um, and they helped remind me of the light and the hope that is in store for me to come. And I was able to just go to clubs and like extracurricular clubs <laughs> and um, and even just be a part of the gospel choir and even part of this um, Christian club called Power to Change and being surrounded by people who, sorry I'm about to cry, <laughs> people who have heavily embodied the love of God towards me and who unknowingly have ministered to me and have helped me through that time period um, was very much a prominent um, aspect on my journey towards healing and I'm very thankful for them but I do know that there are a lot of people who do not have that um, type of community that I was able to establish and for those of you who are in a place where you're not sure of your university or are afraid of the people around you. The one thing that I would say is that people are going to hurt you. People are going, there are going to be mean people out there. There are going to be very, um, just, just people who do not have the best intentions for you. But along with those people, there are going to be people that shine a light that is so blinding and so magnificent that they outshine in the darkness of those that try to shroud you in hurt and pain. And it's so if you, as long as you're comfortable, fine, take the time to search out those grassroots communities around you and to make the choices of surrounding yourself with people who genuinely do support you and love you, who have your back and who got your corner, because finding a community is the most, um, it's the most powerful thing in terms of surviving and not even just surviving, but thriving in an environment that tries to quench out your light. You know, that's, hopefully I'm answering the question, but the one thing that really has helped me out was taking the time to even just talk or speak to somebody about your current circumstances or what is happening so that people, so that there are people within your vicinity who know what is happening to you. Because the thing about 
point, it's really interesting. Even you think that bullies wouldn't be a thing in elementary school or or even in high school, but um, no matter, there are even adults who so happen to be bullies. And the one thing about bullies is that they're cowards. They don't like it when people know about what's happening in your life. And the most powerful thing that you could do is to show them that they will not force you into silence and to simply speak the truth. Thank you so much for your response. That was a really well thought out answer. It's hard because it feels like it's already so difficult being in university and trying to find yourself, but there's this added hidden mental health crisis, which adds to the pressure of starting a new chapter in your life, especially if you go to a predominantly non-Black academic institution. It's just hard to figure out who you are when you're surrounded by people who don't look like you or who haven't gone through similar experiences. And it's really important to find people who are part of your community, or at least people who understand you. Um, Yeah, it's definitely an emotional topic, but it's great to hear that you pushed through and that you found something that supports you. And I hope that everyone who's going through something similar can also find that. Um, Speaking along those lines, COVID-19 hit earlier this year and it basically shook the world. Many students had to start learning online or had to move back home and it just adds to this chronic stress and depression that can already come with school and especially if you're already experiencing or have experienced racial trauma. Um, How have you been handling quarantine during the pandemic? Thank you. And honestly, that is a really good question. And unfortunately, this is the part where I may lose a good um, sense of tangible relatability. (laughs) Um, But during quarantine, I would have to say that it has been the best time for me in terms and in regards to my mental health. Because during quarantine, I wouldn't really be, like without quarantine, I wouldn't have been able to learn how to be compassionate to myself. I wouldn't have really sat down with myself and recognized the repressed thoughts within my being that have made me to come to dislike myself to such a strong degree or to be so critical of myself to a heightened degree. Um, for example, when even when I was younger and sometimes even prior, and I, and I am definitely working on it as we speak, if I were to make a mistake, I would not only believe, I would not only acknowledge the mistake I made because that's a realistic thing to do. You ought to realize the mistakes that you make and try again. But what I ended up, but what I would normally do in terms of my thinking, I would beat myself up verbally like I would verbally and psychologically abuse myself for making a mistake and I have done this so often that I thought it was normal I thought belittling myself calling myself stupid and ugly and worthless and all these very derogatory and demeaning things was normal and for a five-year-old, for a twelve-year-old, for a for a nineteen-year-old, that is not a way to live. It's not. It's not how one should live. 
and with COVID-19 and being inside and staying in a place alone with myself, I was able to realize that the way that I'm treating myself is not okay. The way that I've been hurting myself is not okay. And COVID-19 was a time, was the very first time ever that I have ever acted kindly towards myself. It was the first time that I ever have shown kindness to myself and compassion. And in a way that is not unrealistic or toxic, in a way that was actually a genuine form of support, where if I do make a mistake, I can now say that if I make a mistake, I look at the mistake and I don't hurt myself over the mistake. I look at the things and what I can do to better myself and I still let myself know all the things that I did good on. And that that has taken years to come to a place where I can look at myself in the mirror and not and not just simply tolerate the image in the mirror, but tell that young woman that she is beautiful, that she is worth something more than what the world says about her, and that she is most certainly worth more than what she herself could ever possibly believe or think of herself. And the reason why I'm able to come to that place of genuinely loving who I am is because I was able to better my relationship with God and better my relationship with Christ and really and really come to a place of deeply understanding what his promises mean, what his death and resurrection mean, like the crown of thorns that was placed upon his head, the blood that he has spilt for me and for and for everyone as well. Like that sacrifice and conquering death for me and for us has explained a lot in terms of how the creator of the universe cares about my small little problems. <laughs> that it made me realize that indeed I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That no weapon formed against me shall prosper, that he himself will indeed be my protector and the one who loves me. And I've been learning how to emulate that love towards myself because you can't love others unless you love yourself. And that is the prerequisite for what he has called us to do. And I'm so thankful that I'm able to boldly and boast, like I'm able to boldly boast about how, despite my own weaknesses, my God's strength is shown through those means. That He is teaching me how to not only love others, but how I should love myself, and that my goal should be to not only embody his love towards others, but to embody his love towards myself, which is why I'm able to sustain such a balanced understanding that 
I need to be kind to myself. I need to be realistic with myself. But being realistic does not equal abuse and kindness does not equivocate to enablement. And I, it's very weird. Like I've never been more hopeful in all of my life as an adult, as a person in general, like in all of my life, I've never felt more hope. I never have felt more concrete in myself as a person and who I am as a person. And it has led me to a place to realize that in terms of knowing who I am, I may never know the answer. But with me not knowing the answer prior, I would be distraught, dismayed, and despondent towards that circumstance. But now I'm able to say there may come a place in time where I learn so many different things about myself that I never would have thought about before. And I may come to a place where I may never know exactly who I am, but at least I have a good idea. And the idea is that I'm a child of God. And I may not know everything about that, but there's always time to do so. And that's that, that's what makes it more so much more empowering that I don't need to know the answers to everything. And that's okay. And for for those of you, you know, who may not necessarily follow or believe in Christ, um, I do acknowledge that. And I would definitely for sure say that find the things that bring you joy, not happiness. Find the things that exercise your joy because happiness is only just a mere feeling that fades away. But joy is a muscle that is exercised consistently and you can feel or acknowledge joy in moments of distraught or hurt. And in terms of how to find it, that's all dependent on you. And I hope that you guys will take the time to find those things that bring you joy, to find those things that bring tranquility and peace, and to not be afraid of the unknown. And not knowing is okay. And know that there are people around you are with you there are people around you that have you in mind and I may not necessarily know you in particular but I do hope that my sentiment is like my sentimentality is not taken as a facade but a genuine emotional hand reaching out during through this technological age to know that there are people out there who care about you there are people who genuinely do love you and I, we, we are in this together. I'm so glad you were able to maintain your hope and resilience during this time because it can definitely be tough on your mental health. And it's great that you're able to find yourself and even better that you're doing better than ever. Um, before we end, I just wanted to ask, since you did mention how you found faith, which helped you get through quarantine, um, do you have any other ideas on anti-racist mental healing practices for people who maybe can't afford a therapist? That is a really good question. Um, let's see. In terms of finding and not being able to afford a therapist, 
The things that definitely helped me out was looking up resources and how to exercise self-compassion. Um, because those definitely did help me out in that regard. There's also, let's see, I find doing things that make, that make, that make you like life a little bit more. Um, like for me, for example, the things that remind me that I do enjoy life is that I like to write poetry on the side or I also enjoy drawing, but finding a creative outlet whether it be knitting or crocheting or even writing poems or even um, making code turtles on a software engine. Um, just finding the things that exercise you creatively. It, being creative doesn't necessarily, it always has to be with a um, paintbrush, but you, can, but you can if you want to. And even just reading books, getting lost in books and into stories that are both uplifting and realistic because they can be an emotion they can be a wonderful source of emotional catharsis. And honestly, even just really taking the time to being kind to yourself, to taking breaks and minutes or moments of silence where you turn off the phone, you turn off the laptop, and you undergo and engage with deep breathing exercises. Or even just or even just developing a quiet time for yourself where you do the things that you genuinely do enjoy that don't involve in terms of social media. Um, I find on my end that writing poetry or even journaling has helped me profoundly. And honestly, even just developing a new project, developing a new creative project, like writing a blog or I was even about to say, or maybe even do YouTube, but honestly, YouTube has its own um, issues going on. So, I mean, I mean, if you want to become a YouTuber, go for it, by all means. If it's a form of a creative outlet for you, and it's indeed a hobby that you enjoy, and it's a form of, like, it's a type of work that does not feel like work, go for it. Be my guest. I Let me know what your channel is so that I can subscribe to it. Um, <laughs> And, um, yeah, those are the things that I can think of up on the top of my head. But I definitely do know that I am not a therapist. I am not a psychologist. And I feel like those are some things that I, in my own personal experience, have greatly helped me during um, the COVID quarantine times. And even just finding something that makes you feel like a small part of a greater whole. Like, for example, being a part of Break the Chains Pickering has greatly helped me in terms of education and um, really making me feel like as if I'm a part of something. So even engaging in something that you are passionate about and volunteering in those means would be a really good opportunity as well. And the best way that I could put it is use your anguish or your hurt or your pain and put it into something that would make someone else's hurt and pain less severe. But also, the one thing I would definitely say, which was the first step that has profoundly helped me in tackling um, quarantine and just the existentialism of quarantine, is that it's just to acknowledge the feelings that I have. Because Sometimes we would turn to all these different things as a form of distraction from the actual hurt that we feel. But the first step to really conquering 
a, a problem is to acknowledge that the problem is there. And in terms of how to cope with that, that I would definitely say is up to you. And I would very much say that there is, as long as it's done in a healthy and responsible way, in a way that does not hurt yourself or hurt the people around you, I would definitely say that it, I would encourage those means to help cope with the current circumstances that we're in. But hopefully that properly and respectfully answers um, your question, Daniela, because again, there's only so much that I know as a person and I want to make sure that, especially in regards to mental health, that I answer these questions with dignity and respect. Absolutely, and I respect that so much. There is nothing like a trained professional, such as a counselor or a psychologist, to talk to. Um, and if you don't have access to one, I think everything that you mentioned is so important. You know, like finding a creative outlet and focusing your energy on something that you've always wanted to try. It it really is a great way to heal and learn about yourself. So thank you so much, Dylan, for taking the time out of your day to discuss the Black Lives Matter protests and COVID nineteen. Mental health is such an emotional subject, and I appreciate the thoughtfulness of your answers, and I think there are so many takeaways um, for anyone listening. So thank you again. Oh, anytime, and honestly, just thank you so much for allowing me to be here today and to even answer these questions, because I'm not going to lie, I feel so, I, <laughs> sometimes I wonder, what is, can, can I do? I'm just an average Joe Schmo, <laughs> you know? Um, I'm so very thankful to you guys and as well as the men, as well as the Youth Mental Health Association for even making these types of podcasts for young people and including people such as myself. What do you mean by young people? I'm young too. Um, <laughs> um, but I definitely want to say thank you so much to you guys in particular and even for the and even for the listeners. Thank you for listening to me and I hope that my voice wasn't too annoying or squeaky. <laughs> It was definitely not. (laughs) Thank you for listening to the second episode of Unwind Your Mind. For more information about the Youth Mental Health Association, you can visit our website at www.ymha.org or our Instagram, which is at ymhassociation. This was your host, Daniela, and I hope you all have a fantastic day.